This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Tanya Farber is an award-winning journalist, author, editor, and researcher. She's currently the science writer at the Sunday Times. Her new book, Blood on Her Hands, explores the lives, minds, and motivations of some of South Africa's most notorious female murderers. She joins me now from Cape Town to tell me more. Tanya, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, hi. Thanks so much for inviting me. Tanya, um, this is obviously Women's Month and you often wonder to what extent one's gender defines one's identity. Is there something unique or defining about a woman killer? Well, I mean, the first thing to note is that obviously women who kill are, you know, should be defined against the thousands and thousands of women who don't, and also <laughs> defined against male killers who actually make up 95% of killers. So, um, uh, you know, if you look at the identity of a woman killer, it's a very unique person in terms of... Um, so, Tanya, okay, we're looking at 5% of the proportion, which is, as you said, extremely, extremely low. Is there a defining characteristic among these women that you've looked at that unites them, that they share in common, other than being possibly psychopaths? So basically, um, you know, in terms of choosing the woman that I chose, you could say that they have something in common. And the, the common trait amongst all of them is that I don't think any of them are women who you can say, you know, they were acting in self-defense or, um, you know, they, they are very different from the woman who I didn't choose for the book, which is women who were, you know, who've been incarcerated for murder, but, you know, it was very circumstantial. So a woman who um, is completely poverty-stricken and, dumps her newborn baby, for example, or Ellen Puckies, who strangled her son who was addicted to tick and who had caused major harm in the family. Mm. The common trait of all the women in my book is that I really feel that they can be held responsible for what they did. But in terms of each murder itself, they, they actually are all very different. You know, they, they are all defined by this idea of being a killer, but they're all very different personalities. So let's look at some of them. You've got um, De, uh, Daisy DeMelka. Who was, um, yes. you've got Najwa Peterson. So Daisy Demelka, even a hundred years later, she, she stands alone as the only serial killer in South Africa who acted alone. I mean, she is a, a very unique case. You know, if you look at all the other women in the book, they had accomplices or they hired hitmen or, um, you know, they, they, or well, they weren't serial killers per se, but Daisy Demelka, you know, she was your, your quintessential serial killer who had a long cooling off period between murders and, and acted alone. So, um, you know, even a hundred years later, people are still fascinated by her because we haven't seen the likes of her since then. Right. Um, and then she's obviously very different from someone like Najwa Peterson who, you know, she, she hired hitmen. She manipulated the hitmen. They were very reluctant, but she kept at it. And then when the moment came and they weren't able to follow through with the deed, she slipped her hand into the, the, the pillow that the gun was wrapped around and she pulled the trigger herself. Um, although it's never been clearly stated in court who pulled the trigger, but she definitely, in the 11th hour, she was actually involved in the actual violence of the crime and not just commissioning the crime. So, you know, all these women, as I say, they're all very different, but they're all defined by this one trait, which is that they wanted to kill someone in cold blood. So all of them were premeditated murder? Absolutely, yes. And to what extent do these uh, do we compare, say, to America in terms of women murderers? 
So the states in South Africa, you know, if you exclude all the women who are acting in self-defense and all the mm-hmm. kind of scenarios I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and you're looking at this kind of cold-blooded murder, we are pretty much in line with, with other countries. You know, the, the fact remains that female, cold-blooded female killers are very few and far between, and that 95% of killers are male. But interestingly, um, it's also very important to remember that not all killers are psychopaths not all psychopaths go on to kill people. So actually, you know, some of the the women in the book were, you know, we see them as cold-blooded murderers, and that is what they are. But they didn't actually, you know, some of them were not not diagnosed as being psychopaths. So there's a whole range of statistics one has to look at in terms of defining, you know, what what the the stats are of psychopaths and killers and along gender lines and all of that. And it, it gets very interesting if you look at it that way. It's absolutely a fascinating topic, and I wondered, you know, to to what extent are these crimes passion of uh, passion crimes that are committed by women? Do they do they go for do women go for a certain kind of crime? Is it about love or not love or is it power? So, you know, there, there are different theories about why women would kill in cold blood, and you know, if you if you break it down to a very simple kind of theory that comes from evolutionary psychology. It's that when men kill, there's often something to do with sex involved. So, you know, there's that sense of sexual power. But when women kill, it's often to do with procuring resources, whether it's professional resources or romantic resources or financial resources. So, um, you know, you, you see out of the woman that I wrote about, someone like Dina Rodriguez, that is a very unusual case where a woman actually ordered an assassination of a small baby. That is highly unusual. But then when you look at the background, it's, it is a crime of passion because she, um, you know, she was going out with the baby's father and she was jealous because he had had this baby with a previous girlfriend. But even then, it wasn't a crime of passion done in the heat of the moment, you know, which is sometimes what the term crime of passion is about. Mm. Dina Rodriguez was very meticulous in her planning. She had plenty of opportunity to change her mind about what she was planning, and yet she she went ahead with it very ruthlessly. So that was a crime of passion, but it was done in with with, um, with cold blood rather than hot blood, if I can put it that way. And and to to what extent? I mean, you, you spoke about um, Peterson actually being the one when all around her fell pulled the, the trigger. To what extent are the women themselves doing the killing and to what extent are they hiring somebody else to do the dirty work? So so hiring hitmen and um, getting accomplices is very, very common for women killers. Women killers very rarely act alone when it's a, a cold-blooded case. And one of the, you know, one of the theories that psychologists have come up with is that that actual act of violence is something which young women are not brought up to feel as being part of their being. Um, and it's also one of the reasons why more killers are actually male is, you know, females have way more outlets if they want to talk about their emotions or they want to deal with their problems. And aggression is not their first kind of port of call for when they want to um, act out on their emotions. Whereas for men, you know, that, that sense of, of um, being upset and being angry, aggression is something that they turn to easily. For women, that's much harder. So. The same thing that makes us in the minority when it comes to killing is the same thing that makes us in the majority when it comes to hiring accomplices and hitmen. And um, if you look at if you look at Charmaine Phillips, am I right about her in the book also? You know, she went on a killing spree with her boyfriend, and he was quite a lot older than her. And you know, some people actually saw her as a victim of his, of being under his um, his spell and being manipulated by him. 
But in writing the book, I very much wanted to show that the women acted on their own accord and they had agency over what they did. Even when they are working with an accomplice, like Chad Van Rooyen and Joey Hart, or Charmaine Phillips and her much older boyfriend, um, you know, they, they're, still, they're still working with someone and, are, and have agency over what they do. Tanya, you, you, you mentioned aggression and kind of the stereotypes, for lack of a better word, are that women are no, nurturing and caring, men are more aggressive, and the aggressiveness amongst men, you know, leads to more aggression within our societies. And South Africa is a very violent society, and many women are victims of domestic violence. Could, do you expect that because of that, women will increase in terms of their aggression and we could see more murders? I think, you know, if one looks at the the sort of, um, you know, the self-defense murders or the, the women who are at the end of their tether with frustration or they are economically marginalized to the extent that they can't look after another baby that's just been born. Mm. I think, you know, one, I mean, I'm just predicting, I don't know for sure, but I think one, one could see the rise of that. And also, you know, vigilante killings and um, any any kind of violence that is linked to the, the circumstances in South Africa, which as it gets worse and worse, people might act out more on that kind of thing. But, um, you know, these, these women who, who are committing murders of the type that I write about in my book are very, very often, and in fact almost always, middle-class women who are not necessarily exposed to the same kinds of challenges and daily struggles of women who are cut off economically and financially. So it, it, it is an interesting it is an interesting concept, but I think generally, you know, violence, um, it, uh, you're right, violence begets violence. And, and again, if you look at um, South Africa, I think what happens often is that it means that middle-class women who are going to go out and kill, it's much easier for them to find an accomplice or a hitman, um, you know, because there are so many desperate people who will do anything for money. So in that sense, it might be easier for her to procure people who will do the dirty deed on her behalf. Tanya, um, but in terms of middle-class women doing more of this kind of thing, I don't think the circumstances would, would um, affect that. That is quite a relief to hear. Tanya, we have to take a break now, but after the break, I'm going to look at why you chose the women you did and what you've learned from your book. But just before then... This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherise Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. And I'm talking to award-winning journalist, author, and editor, Tanya Farber. Um, she's also, uh, Tanya's also the science writer of the Sunday Times about her new book, Blood on Her Hands. Uh, Tanya, what made you choose the woman you chose? I chose the woman that I chose because they were ones who, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they had very much acted in cold blood and you know, always with murder, one has to be very careful about looking at circumstances and the reasons why someone killed. So I didn't include anybody in the book who, you know, one, one can debate whether they can be held responsible for what they did. And then also um, I chose the woman according to, you know, how, how, how interesting. I mean, one doesn't always want to use that word because it sounds macabre, but, you know, some murders are more interesting than others. And, you know, if you look at someone like Shanae van Heerden, who... Um, you know, she she lured a young man to the cemetery on a date. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's very weird, firstly, that she, the cemetery was where they were going to meet for the date. But then with her boyfriend, she stabbed the victim and ended up mutilating him and, and skinning his face. So, you know, that's a highly unusual crime. I mean, you don't... You don't often hear of anyone mm. who has the desire to dismember and skin another mm. person. Mm. 
So immediately I'm thinking, well, that's a, that's a, it's harrowing, but it's a very interesting story. Sorry, say that again. What have you learned from your book? So I think what I've learned is that, you know, it's very easy to, um, to become engrossed in a murder and a murder story and even to follow a court case, um, you know, in the media. But I think our fascination with the, the murderer can sometimes eclipse our, our interest in the victim and compassion for the victim. And I was very careful in writing this book to not only present the woman as a whole person, so looking at her whole life and not just her identity as a killer, but to also try and get as much information as I could on the victims. Um, and just kind of, you know, it is, it is human nature to be intrigued by murderers, especially when they are committed by people who you least expect, mm-hmm. like women. <laughs> But I think it's also very important to look at it in the, you know, the broader context of who the victim was and how the person came to procure a hitman or, you know, how, I mean, if you look at um, Joey Harhoff, who operated in Pretoria and Johannesburg and um, Peter Maritzburg in the 80s with Peter Falchat van Royen, mm. she was able to get away with it in that context because, you know, South Africa at that time, you, you were kind of, if you lived in the white suburbs, you were taught that, you know, a woman who looked like a tanny from down the road was not the person who was going to harm you. Mm. And that was why she was able to, um, you know, to lure people into her, into their web. And I just think it's, it's very interesting that we, we kind of, you know, the, the changing backdrop to a murder also shapes what happens. And just another example is Daisy DeMelka with so many of her children dying. Um, you know, if that happened nowadays, someone would immediately raise a red flag. But in those days, you know, the child mortality rate was much higher. So nobody kind of thought it was odd that so many of her children were dying, wow. you know? The reaction to the book, what has that been? Oh, what's the reaction been? Um, the reaction has been very good. I mean, people, um, you know, I've got, uh, interesting, some of my, my male friends who read it said that it's completely terrified them and they've only been able <laughs> to read it with the light on or, you know, during the day. But um, I've had a very good reaction from people. And one of the things that I think people have really appreciated is that I start off each chapter with... Um, going into the mind of the person and just describing a day in their life from their perspective. So in the Phoenix Racing Cloud chapter, for example, you know, she was the young girl who killed her mom. Um, I actually start off with her as a little toddler living in a caravan in Eisner with her mom, who was a complete hippie and quite quite negligent. And, you know, so I sort of describe her world around her when she's three years old, whereas um, for in the Marlene Lenberg chapter, she was a teenager who worked at the Red Cross Children's Hospital and ended up killing her older lover's wife, I start off with her, you know, arriving at the hospital um, on the morning that she procures the hitman and, you know, she's fixing her hair and she's scared because the rain's going to land on her hair. So I kind of, I start with each chapter by giving the person a lot of humanity and taking you inside their mind so that it becomes even more weird when, you know, they're the main protagonist and you're supposed to love the main protagonist, but then suddenly they're a killer. So Mm. I think people have, you know, that's, that's the thing that I've had the most feedback about is people have really enjoyed how each chapter is structured so that you really get inside the mind of the person and just see them as an ordinary person before they actually commit the murder. Tanya, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you so much for joining for joining me. And um, those books are available, I guess, at all leading bookshops. Yes, thank you so much.